Happy Easter. It's great to see many of you here today. And uh, this is just the beginning of the celebration today. We have baptisms and confirmation and uh, even a couple of uh, uh, cute babies being baptized. And, uh, and then the party continues afterwards in the parking lot uh, with our um, uh, bring your own food a buffet celebration. Okay, so um, we're going to look at John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. John 6, 60 through 71, and this finishes off this epic journey through John chapter 6. Uh, you have the words of eternal life. How did this remember? You have the words of eternal life. John chapter 6, reading from verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard, hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Jesus spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day that we can gather and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would gather our hearts to you so that we can intently understand and listen to the word of God. We pray that you would speak to us as your sheep, as your children, and guide us according to your word. Help us to see the meaning of this day, the resurrected Christ and what the empty tomb means for our faith, that it might cause us to live our lives in light of the meaning of this day. Be with us. Bless your people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I wanted to have some sort of a, a clever sermon introduction today about Easter. So I tried to find some good, I googled like Easter riddles. So I was hoping to find some riddles that might captivate your attention. But I actually couldn't find anything that dealt with the real meaning of Easter. I found things like, why was the Easter bunny so angry? Because he was having a bad hair day. Hair day. Right? Stuff like that. Right? So much of Easter in our society is about things like that. Like it's about the Easter bunny, Easter eggs, Easter candy, and the meaning of Easter has been diminished 
to basically another commercial holiday, right? Sell a lot of candy today. But we celebrate Easter because, because the tomb was empty. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. And the empty tomb is proof that he has overcome death. And that's why the resurrection is important to us. Because of the empty tomb, we believe in faith that one day God will also resurrect those who trust in Jesus Christ. And bring us out of the grave. So we commemorate this day. We remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we want to do that today through this passage. We come, come to this last part of John chapter 6. You have the words of eternal life. And, and um, through this passage, we're going to look at three different things. The offensive words. Jesus speaks words and people say that's offensive. The offensive words. And then we'll look at the life-giving words and faith. How faith deals with the way that we're supposed to respond to his word, and then granted faith by grace. Okay, so we'll look at those three things through this passage. First, the offensive words. Verse 60 again says, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So in this passage, throughout this chapter, John identified people in different ways. Um, there are different types of people here that he, he refers to. There were people that he called the Jews, even though everyone's probably a Jew there. Uh, he called them the Jews. And then here he calls some, some people the disciples. And then later on in this passage, passage there are the twelve. Okay, so each of those types of people had different degrees of commitment before Jesus. The disciples, when it says... Many of the disciples heard it. Disciples in this verse, like many times we think of disciples as the 12, but the disciples in this verse is not talking about committed followers with real faith. Rather, disciples are referring to people who literally follow Jesus, from place to place, follow Jesus. So these disciples heard what Jesus was saying, and then they respond by saying, this is a hard saying. The word saying is the Greek word logos, which is the word uh, word, the word word, the meaning is word. This is a hard word. And the word hard doesn't mean it's hard to understand. Rather, they're saying it's harsh. It's offensive. So they're saying, what you're saying is offensive. Who can accept this word? So think about this crowd, the the. The crowd, the, the Jews, or here, as he refers to, the disciples, the followers. Think about what we learned about them from this passage. They liked it when Jesus did miracles. They were interested in the food that he provided. They wanted Jesus to be their political leader. They wanted him to serve their agendas. They didn't like it. They were actually offended when he said he came down from heaven. They were offended when he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. They were offended when Jesus basically did not fit into their box. 
the box of what they supposed the Messiah should look like. They could not accept his word by faith because really what it means is they had to be the final authority, right? Jesus, what do you mean by that? That doesn't fit. That's offensive. That's harsh. That's a harsh word. Who can accept it? Because they had to be the authority. Verse 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if I were to, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So Jesus, it says, knowing what they were thinking, because he's Jesus, right? He asks, okay, so what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, what he says here, right? Um, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? This is actually very similar to what Jesus said to Nicodemus in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus says to Nicodemus, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Very similar words, right? And then right after that, in John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus explains to Nicodemus what it means to ascend to heaven. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So the idea here is that Jesus will be lifted up. Jesus will be exalted, but that exaltation comes through the cross. He must be lifted up on the cross before he will be lifted up to heaven. So when Jesus says here, right, to the people, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? When he says that, he's not necessarily saying, oh, if you saw that, then will you finally believe? If you see me ascend to heaven? Not necessarily. To the ones who refuse to believe, he's saying, do you take offense at this? If you take offense at this, then you might even be more offended later. If you're offended by my words now, how offended will you be when you see the Son of Man on the cross? How offended will you be with the idea that the Messiah should be crucified on the cross? Because you see, the path to ascending to heaven is through his death and resurrection. Only after the crucifixion and resurrection will there be the glorification of ascension. So, so this is um, a question that we all have to answer. Notice that Jesus leaves that question unanswered, right? Because we're supposed to respond to it in our own hearts. Jesus asks, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And then he leaves it right there. Meaning, like, what will you do? The answer to that question really depends on each individual heart. As Paul writes about later, to some, the cross and the empty tomb is a stumbling block. It's foolishness. And actually the cross and the claim of the empty tomb will even increase the offense to some. But to others, the cross and the empty tomb 
will eliminate the offense and validate his claims and his glory. So do you take offense at this? What if you were to see the Messiah on the cross? And what if you were to see the empty tomb? The offensive words. Secondly, the life-giving words and faith. Right after that, Jesus says in verse 63, it is a spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So, so what is? Okay, so he's saying, what is the meaning of the bread of life? Right? The, the, this discourse that we've been having. Okay, what is the meaning of this that caused all these people to take offense? And then Jesus says, in trying to figure that out, the flesh is no help at all. Commentator D.A. Carson says, concerning that phrase, the flesh is no help at all. He says, it's useless, no help at all. It's useless to take this discourse literally without penetrating their symbolic meaning. Without penetrating their symbolic meaning. That's what he means when he says the flesh is no help at all because life cannot be found through the flesh. That's what he's saying. In contrast, he says, it is a spirit who gives life. So it seems like Jesus already has in mind that after his ascension will be the coming of the spirit. And Jesus explains what it means that he's the bread of life, what it means that he's the bread of life that came from heaven. And as he's explaining that, he says, these words that I've spoken are a product of the Spirit that gives life. And when you understand these words correctly, that they produce life. These words of the Spirit produce life. Um, we have a, a weight scale by our bathroom. And uh, in our home, one of our boys checks his weight constantly. Because um, I accidentally turned off my iPad. Now I'm trying to find where I was. Oh, one of the boys checks his weight constantly because um, because he's eager, really eager, to gain weight. Me, I check it pretty regularly because I want to lose weight. So, so this is what he does. Like he, my son, he stands on it. He sees the number that registers there. And then he goes, ah, oh, ah, oh, because he wants the number to be higher. He's like, no way this can be true. This is broken. This is so low. And then I stand on the same scale and I see the number and I go, because oh. I want the number to be lower. No way this is correct. This is broken. But the thing is, um, it should not, the number should not be a big deal to either one of us. Because if you think about it, God's not one day going to judge us based on that number on the scale. You know? Oh, you had the wrong number. You wicked servant. Or he's not going to be like, oh, you, you, you did, you hit the right number. Well, well done. 
my good and faithful servant. There's actually going to be only one thing that we'll be judged by, and that's how we responded to the life-giving words of Christ. And so that means that's what we need to evaluate and perhaps even grieve over if we're not responding properly. Because as Jesus gives his life-giving words, believing in Jesus is to believe in his words. Feeding on Jesus is to feed on his words. And when we receive his words properly, they produce life. Now, Jesus continues on, verse 64. So, these words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Meaning his words didn't lead to life for everyone. Some did not believe. Some did not receive his words with faith. And John tells us here in his parenthetical statement, he tells us that Jesus was not surprised by their unbelief. Jesus, he says, knew from the beginning through his divine foreknowledge. He knew not only that some would not believe, he also knew who would not believe. And this is why later on when Judas comes to betray Jesus with a kiss, Jesus says, friend, do what you came to do. Jesus knew. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. There will be unbelief. Jesus knew that many would not believe. He says, this is why, right? This is why, because of unbelief. I already knew about your unbelief. This is why I said the Father has to draw you to me. Jesus is saying, see, I told you. I told you the Father has to grant you the ability to believe. Because no one has the ability to believe by himself. In other words, faith, faith is by grace. No one can come to me, Jesus is saying, unless the Father grants him the ability, and that's grace. By the way, this is why we need to keep on praying for ourselves and for others. This is why we need to keep on praying. Because no one has the ability to come to Jesus on his own. No matter how sincere our desires are. You know, you have those moments, man, man I really want to. Right? No matter how sincere our desires are, we cannot carry them out. No matter how much and how sincerely we talk to other people, trying to convince them to go toward Jesus, ultimately, God has to grant them faith. So when we pray, we're placing the task in the hands of the only one who can bring people to Jesus. The life-giving words and faith. Okay, thirdly, lastly, granted faith by grace. Okay, so this concept, we talked about grace. Let's dig into that a little bit further. Granted faith by grace. Verse 66. After this, 
many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Um, this does not mean that Jesus failed in his ministry, right? This does not mean that this outreach was a failure. Some people leaving Jesus was inevitable. One commentator says, what they wanted, he would not give. What he offered, they would not receive. What they wanted, he would not give. What he offered, they would not receive. So many of the dissatisfied followers left, probably even criticizing Jesus as they left. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, probably on behalf of the disciples, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Um, I used to read this very dramatically. Actually, like approaching this text, I was like really excited about preaching this text because always like in this, this text in my mind was very like, I read it dramatically. As if like Jesus... Because, you know, this comes right after many people turn away from Jesus and no longer walk with him. And so now it's as if Jesus, I, th I thought Jesus now he's sad and he feels a little hurt, you know. People, people just left him. So he asks, do you want to go away as well? Right? And then Simon reassures him or something like that answers of course not jesus there's no one else we would go to you have the words of eternal life and and as i picture this there's like korean drama music in the background in that kind of scene and i realize that that's not what's going on here because john just said that jesus already knew from the beginning who would not believe so i don't think jesus is saying here like like, he's unsure. Uh, you guys aren't going to leave me too, are you? Like, asking like he's hoping that they, they won't leave. Unsure of himself. Hoping that they'll say no. Rather, the question is more like, surely you don't want to go away too, do you? Meaning, he's demanding a no for a response. Because he asks this question for their sake. Again, commentator D.A. Carson says, they need to articulate a response more than he needs to hear it. Meaning these, these 12, they need to articulate a response more than Jesus needs to hear it. Because the 12 just saw many people stop following Jesus. He just, they just witnessed many people leave Jesus. So they need to know for themselves where they stand. You see, through this question, Jesus is building up their faith. And he's showing them that they've been granted the ability to believe. And that's what they profess, right? To whom shall we go? There's no one else we can follow. Because you have the words of eternal life. They've come to believe that the words that come from Jesus are true are the life-giving words from the Spirit that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And then notice, to, to affirm that that's what's going on here, notice what it says in verse 70. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, 
and yet one of you is a devil. You see, there's no drama here, right? This isn't a Korean drama kind of scene because Jesus doesn't even give them credit for their response. He doesn't go like, oh, wow, like I'm so moved to tears right now. I was hoping you'd say that. No, rather, he simply says that he chose them. He says, they didn't choose Jesus, but he says, I chose you. And then he brings up Judas, who he calls the devil. Yet one of you is the devil. Verse 71, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And we know what happens later in the, um, like a year later from this account. John chapter 13, verse 2 records it during supper when the devil, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So what's going on here is this really shows that what Peter is able to declare is by the grace of God. Because unless the Father grants this grace, this is the outcome. Judas also walked with Jesus. He heard the same life-giving words from Jesus. But in the end, he betrayed Jesus for 30 silver coins because, because the Father withheld his grace from Judas. And that's the only reason why Peter was able to declare, you are the Holy One of God. One day I was minding my own business at home, sitting in my living room, and Christine comes up to me and she takes a picture of me. And, and uh, for those of you that are here, you can see this picture on the screen. This first picture on the screen. Okay, so she comes up and she takes a picture of me. And uh, I, was my, I was minding my own business. She takes a picture of me, looks at her phone, and she starts cracking up. And apparently she was messing around with some app, and this is what she was laughing at. <laughs> and then she had like several of these, like here's another one. And I saw that, I'm like, wow, I did not realize this, but man, hair makes a big difference. Uh, hair makes such a big difference in our outer appearance. Okay, you can get rid of the picture. <laughs> hair makes a big difference, and that's why probably like some of you spend a lot of like maybe money and chemicals on your hair, clothes make a big difference, right? In our outer appearance. And so that's why we invest in it. We want to look our best on Easter Sunday, things like that. But the thing is, I mean, think about it. Think about what this, what this passage is telling us. Nothing makes a difference 
in a person like the grace of God. Nothing makes a difference in a person like the grace of God. We often forget that because we easily take the grace of God for granted. But that's what this passage is showing us. Peter declares, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And what is the difference? This is what we're capable of. What Judas did is what we are capable of apart from the grace of God. We can easily think, you know, and we can falsely think, oh man, I'm so committed to Jesus. I have such strong faith right now because, um, man, this morning I woke up at 6 a.m. and I went to sunrise service. Congratulate me. Like, I'm such a committed believer. Or we can think, oh, many people are waning in their faith these days, especially this past year during the pandemic. But look at me. Here I am. Worshiping God on Easter, still going strong. But Jesus says, I chose you. You did not choose me, I chose you. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. The fact that we can declare, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is only by the amazing grace of God. This grace is amazing this grace is amazing because without this grace, we could be in Judas's shoes. We're capable of doing what Judas did. That same sinful DNA dwells in our hearts. Apart from the grace of God. So anytime you see yourself, like anytime you see yourself desiring to come to Jesus, praise God. For his grace. The offensive words. Because Jesus will. Hang on the cross. Which is offensive. To the foolish. But is the saving grace to sinners. The life giving words. And faith that responds to those words. And that faith. Granted faith. By the grace of God. I'll just finish with this. Um, one time I came across a video, it's like random video show up on, on, for me, maybe because I look at random videos. But one time I came across this video on YouTube of a drone flying over water, hovering over and looking at alligators. And, uh, and so that's, that's the whole video, right? Like for like three minutes, this drone like flies over, I think they're somewhere down in Florida, just flying over this place where alligators live. <laughs> drone basically like goes right over the alligator. And then the person that's maneuvering it is like bothering the alligator with the, with the shadow of the drone. <laughs> and the alligator looks up, is bothered by it and goes back into the water. And then the drone goes, finds another alligator. And this continues. <laughs> Um, so, you know, as I'm looking at this video, obviously, when you look at the video, I'm looking at the video from the drone's perspective. Like, I'm not identifying with the alligator. I'm looking at it like, I hope the alligator doesn't 
jump up high enough to snatch this drone. I'm looking at it from the drone's perspective. And I'm thinking, oh man, that must be so annoying for the alligator. He's in his, in his uh, home, minding his own business, and this strange thing comes hovering over him. What is that? The alligator's probably thinking, why is that there? He's annoyed by it. He doesn't like it. He wishes he can reach it so that he can snap it out of the air. Alligator. And then I thought about it a little more. And then I was like, you know what? I know exactly how that alligator feels. Because uh, sometimes, especially in the summertime, when I'm in my room, I'm, I'm minding my own business. Sometimes, like, I see a mosquito come. And then, like, randomly starts buzzing around over me. And then I'm so annoyed by it, I'm jumping up, trying to smack it and hit it in the wall, trying to catch it. So I know exactly how that feels. Sometimes with a drone, sometimes with the alligator. Sometimes we're flying high. Sometimes we're flying high, happy not to be struggling like the alligator in the mud. But at other times, we're looking up. Other times, we're the ones looking up, wondering why we're in this situation, why this is happening, why it can't be different, why it can't be better. And that's what it is. Sometimes God gives us time to fly and soar so that we can easily praise Him, right? Easily recognize His grace in our lives. And sometimes, God places us in the mud, in the mire, so that we can, through the struggles, through the hardships, appreciate His sustaining grace. Sometimes He leads us to the mountain top. Sometimes He intentionally takes us to the dark valleys below. But in all circumstances, His grace is real. May we never take our eyes off of His grace so that we can declare in all circumstances, to whom shall we go? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Let's pray together. As we respond to His word, let's just take a moment and ponder the question that Jesus asks. Do you take offense? At some of these puzzling words that I'm speaking to you, what if I were to say to you that one day you will see the Son of Man ascending to where he came from before? And in his mind, what that means is uh, he's going to suffer a gruesome death on the cross for sinners. Um, that cross and the empty tomb is foolishness, is a stumbling block to many, but for those who respond to his word in faith, it is the power of God. So let's respond to the word of God in faith, and that can only be granted to us by his grace. 
must go to him. God, thank you that you give me even an inkling of a desire to come to Jesus. I want to know him more. I want to declare that he is the Holy One of God, the one with the words of eternal life. Confess that within our hearts, that that would be the declaration of our hearts. Let's pray that for a moment before we prepare for the baptisms. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your word that gives life. We thank you that even in this moment, we can celebrate uh, the power of your word, what it did in the lives of our brothers and sisters to get baptized, confirmed. Let's pray that you would uh, really strengthen and bless these brothers and sisters and um, bless your church, strengthen your church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, I forgot to mention in the beginning, notice these nice flowers because uh, it's Easter. So we have, um, you know, we don't have Easter dinner. We got to make this service special. And so we have uh, nice flowers. You don't seem too thrilled by it, but um, they're nice flowers for Easter because, you know, uh, it's Easter. And then also, uh, unfortunately, we were not able to do have baptisms last year. And uh, but it's, it's great that we can have. Uh, baptism this year. Uh, baptism is uh, something that is commanded in the New Testament. Um, it's uh, kind of like uh, theologically follows. Uh, for example, in the New Testament, there was um, you know there was a circumcision uh, when people entered the covenant community. And uh, in the New Testament, as people enter the covenant community, there's um, baptism. And uh, it's commanded in the scripture. Uh, and what people are doing as they choose to be baptized is a public declaration. Obviously, baptism doesn't, the act, the activity doesn't save you. It's salvation by grace through faith in our own hearts. But then as we choose to be baptized, we're making a public declaration and saying, this is a reality that took place in my heart, and I'm making a declaration that that I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and this is what Jesus did in my life, right? And uh, and it's in obedience to the command to be baptized and uh, be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, so we have the privilege of witnessing that, and of course, the reason why it's a public declaration is because it involves the covenant community. It's a it's a, it symbolizes an entrance into the covenant community and the body of Christ. And so that's why it's a declaration before others here. And uh, we're acknowledging it, we're affirming it, and we're embracing um, our brothers and sisters. Um, so, and then uh, we have also our brother, Anthony, is going to be confirmed um, as sometimes... The infant of believing parents are baptized, you know, when they come to be of an age, then they choose on their own to say, I believe in this, it's not just my parents' faith, it's my faith. And they just, just and then they choose to confirm their faith, and that's what 
Brother Anthony's doing. Okay, so um, actually it's a little uh, unfortunate because usually when people are up here, kind of, you know, they might not feel absolutely comfortable. And so like your smiles are really encouraging to people most, you know, a lot of times. But it's kind of unfortunate because we can't see your smiles right now. Um, so try to convey that with your eyes, maybe. Like, look really like, like I'm with you, with your eyes, with maybe with your eyebrows. Uh, you know, like just maybe head gestures, like a lot of nodding. No, don't don't do that, Jeremy. That's that could be interpreted in different ways. So, hey, just try to be really affirming. Um, and so uh, first, we'll have our brother Anthony Kim come and give his, I, I, oh, I'm sorry, and the reason why they give their testimony instead of just being baptized is again because it's a public declaration of faith and that's why we include a testimony. Okay? So uh, first our brother Anthony will come and share his testimony and, um, and then we'll go from there. I'm Anthony Kim, nice to meet you all. So here's my testimony. So a lot of my childhood was spent at church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin as my parents were very involved. Uh, my mom plays the piano for the choir, and my dad helped a lot with some money and finance. Uh, because it was already part of my life, I never really thought about how Christ would play a role in it. Just that I would go to church early in the morning, sit for a couple hours, and wait for everyone to show up at 9, or 11, depending on how lazy they were. I never really understood what to do at church. It also didn't help that I didn't understand the messages taught at church, uh, which still hasn't really changed. I just treated it like school. Just a bunch of memorizing and learning, but no actual application to my life. If you ask me if I believed in church or in Christ, I would just shrug it off and just say yeah, and then run off to the playground behind the church. But since it was a large part of my life, I stuck to it. And during that time, I met a lot of people. Getting to know them and understand people were great, but as time goes on, they always confused me about how people's faith changed. People always say one thing, but as time goes on, their faith may change along the line. As I got older, it made me question a lot about where and what I was going to do. Uh, which fast forward to my transition to college. Uh, church wasn't exactly my first priority when choosing university. But I felt relieved when I found my former youth pastor, Pastor Aiden, was here on campus. I suppose I stuck to CLC out of familiarity inside an unknown state. I don't believe my time here has created a drastic turning point that changed my life, but instead has helped me time to grow slowly. I didn't realize how CLC, and particularly small groups, uh, has helped me hear about how people apply and interpret different ways of the message. Which after that, over spring break, I talked to a lot of my friends at church and how they were struggling and growing in their faith. We all had a similar start, where our parents attended church, so we just came along with them. Listening to them, I wanted to find how their life was in mine. I wanted to find some ways to help them, but I really didn't really know where to start and what to do. But it gave me a search of motivations to learn about Christ, but grow where I essentially have more faith personally, and not just in the spring of the moment. So being back on campus, to serve as a Bible study, CLC helped me stay with Christ and show how the community played an important role. It also helped a lot that those around me in my walk with Christ, such as Sony, my former youth pastor, or small group pastor, simplified basically everything so I could understand. I came to understand what Christ's death and resurrection meant for me. Since then, I've continued to do my best to stay with Christ who has freed me out and satisfied my needs, instead of trying to fill it with my own worldly factors, such as my aspirations for my career and uh, being by myself, which has made me disconnected from the community. These things have kept me from wholeheartedly seeking God my Christ has helped me continue to believe in him, along with continued support from my family, grandparents, and friends along the line, such as Julius, friend for home, 
and I can thank him for keeping me accountable in the word, which has helped ground my faith. Through these, I hope that just like people who have, just like the seed on the good soil, to continue to retain and preserve the word with Christ. Now that when people ask me about my faith, I can say with confidence I believe in them, and then still run off to the playground. Thank you. Okay, well, we're going to pray for Anthony. And um, normally, I think I'd be closer and lay hands. But I think it's okay if we don't. Okay, so um, let's pray together for Anthony. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the ways that you've been working in Anthony's heart, his life. We thank you for his journey of um, God and church and Christianity being just a familiar thing, but somehow through orchestrated events designed by you, uh, you worked in his heart to bring him to the place where it became more real and Christ became more of a real person in his life. Lord, we thank you for that grace. We thank you for your drawing grace and power that, that was evident in his life. Just pray, Lord, and ask that you would continue that work. With the constant struggles that uh, we all face in this world, different things that he might face in his life, I pray that you would sustain him day after day and help him to know that Jesus is near because your power is at work drawing him to Christ. As he makes this decision today to declare this faith as his own, we pray, Lord, that he, the, the reality of Christ will become more and more, even from this moment, something that is more and more authentic and real in his heart, and he will pursue it with all of his heart, all of his passion, that the greatest desire in his heart would be to live for you, to please you. Lord, bless him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next, our, uh, the next rest are baptisms. Our sister, Cindy Lee. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Cindy, and um, this is my testimony. Um, so I grew up as a non-Christian. I was actually born in China. And um, moved to the United, moved to Minnesota when I was six years old. Growing up in China, I didn't know what religion was or entailed, and it wasn't until I was enrolled in a private Catholic elementary school in the U.S. that I first came in contact with religion. There, I met some friends who invited me to their church, and I was able to attend a weekly youth group. And I also went to my cousin's church for Sunday school from time to time. I continued to partake in these activities throughout elementary and middle school because they were fun and I got to hang out with my friends. Still, I never had a relationship with God. God was something that was just there. There were two turning points in how I became Christian. The first turning point was when I went to San Francisco the summer before eighth grade to visit my aunt's family. My aunt and her family are Christian and attended church regularly. Not only did they go to church, but they also integrated what it means to be Christian in their lives. It was different from what I was used to. I spent the whole summer with them, and Christianity was inevitably integrated into my life as well. I learned and saw so much more of God through their discussion-based Sunday school 
and building a relationship with the Sunday school leaders. That summer was very transformative in how much closer I've grown in my faith and to God. The second turning point is my grandma. My grandma, someone I'm really close to, lived in China for most of her life and did not believe in Christianity. I've always known my grandma to be a strong woman, so I was heartbroken to see her in pain when my grandpa passed away a couple of years ago. Because of my grandpa's death, she decided to immigrate to the United States. Through this, she found God. She attended church regularly with my aunt and uncle in San Francisco, and she became a believer. It was really impactful to witness her becoming a Christian, and it was even more amazing to see how God was working in her life. There were many times where I could hear God's word through her, and in many ways, her transformation transformed me too. Through these two turning points, God has shown me that he is uh, who he is and that being a Christian isn't just about doing good things. I learned to have a real relationship with him and trust him with my heart. Despite how imperfect I am, God still loves me regardless. From that point on, I believed that I was a sinner and needed God to save me because I couldn't save myself. I asked Jesus to come into my life so I could rely on God and his promises. Christianity became part of my identity gradually over the years as I continued to grow, learn and grow in my faith, and CLC was an important part of that journey. Before I started college, I was worried that my faith wasn't strong enough to push me to go to church during college. My youth group leaders from my church back home said it happens way too often so I was very worried I would use, lose my relationship with God. I'm beyond grateful to have found CLC, and I've met so many amazing people through this church, and I'm very thankful that God has put them in my life. They have encouraged me and continue to push me to grow in my relationship with God. And after I told my family about going to church at CLC, my grandma was nudging me about getting baptized last year. Um, I planned on getting baptized, but because of COVID, I was able to think through my spiritual growth more and solidify my own conviction for baptism. I'm beyond grateful for that. My perspective and mindset have changed through the journey of finding God and trusting and relying on Him. Jeremiah 29.13 said, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all, all your heart. This will continue to be a constant reminder for me to practice patience and trust and use my heart to see God and how he has transformed my life through the thick and thin. Thank you. Hey, join me in praying for Cindy. Heavenly Father, we were just so amazed at um, how you use even ordinary ways to draw uh, people to yourself, just even from hearing Cindy's testimony just this summer with... Um, some family, relative members, and doing ordinary things, how you can open the eyes of our heart and help her to realize that Jesus is real and more than something that um, is like just going to church and things like that. Um, we're just amazed that you're constantly at work and have been at work uh, in her life, uh, making Christ more real. And even in this past year or two years that she's been with us and how you've been working in her through ordinary things like Bible studies and relationships with others that you've been 
implanting more of the reality of Christ and faith in our heart. Let's pray that you would continue to do that. We know that the journey is long. We know that there are many ups and downs in, in the road ahead. So we pray that you would allow that faith to become more and more sincere, more and more real, that Christ would be above all and everything in her life, and that this would just be uh, just a simple beginning of that path of wanting to live for you, wanting to die for the name of Jesus Christ, wanting to bring you glory through everything that she does. We know that that's in your hands. Make her faith uh, um, actualize the intentions of her faith by your grace. And we ask that you would do that constantly over and over again, that Christ would be exalted and glorified in her life. Cindy Lee, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, next we have Davine. Um, my name is Davine. Hello to the people at home. Okay. Um, so I cannot believe it has already been almost two years since I first started attending CLC. Um, and a couple months ago, I graduated from college. And some of you may know that I am currently taking a gap semester before attending grad school starting in August here at the U. So these days with the time of rest that God has graciously given me, I have had some time to think back about my time during college and my childhood in general. Growing up, I did not regularly attend church, but through my attendance of vacation Bible school and Bible study groups, I had a very general and given. Essentially, my faith with God was not about building a personal relationship with him, but was mainly about memorizing information about Christianity. As years went by of not attending church and my faith started to dwindle and my distant relationship with God became even greater. However, this began to change after one particular time during college that I will never be able to forget because little did I know that that moment would, and as dramatic as it sounds, change my life forever. During the end of my sophomore year of college, I happened to cross paths with an acquaintance named Grace Ung as I was walking to class. We decided to meet for coffee and during our conversation, I couldn't help but keep thinking about how it was such a coincidence that we randomly ran into each other. But we were able to have such a raw and honest conversation about our struggles of that year, even though we weren't that close. Towards the end, we found out that we were both Christian and I explained that I was currently not attending a church, but was interested in finding one. And this was when Grace introduced me to Covenant Life Church. She told me that I should come to service that weekend, but since it was May and finals were right around the corner, I told her that I would come by after the semester was over. But truthfully, I was just making an excuse not to go to church because I was afraid of going back to church after so many years of not attending. So when sophomore year came to a close, I encountered many hardships in my personal life. It was definitely one of the darkest times in my life and I experienced loneliness, depression, and just all around not feeling loved. And I remember sitting in my apartment alone, wondering how I was going to be able to get through this time. But then I received a message from my friend Grace 
inviting me to go to the canoe trip with her church community. At first, I didn't really want to go because um, I just wanted to be alone and I just wanted to sit in my sadness, but I had a feeling that if I didn't go, that I would very much regret my decision later on. After meeting the CLC community uh, and what, seeing how welcoming the people were, I decided to attend service that weekend. And I remember sitting in the sanctuary feeling goosebumps because I was finally able to see that the God that I knew did not have to be as distant as I made him to be. That day, I had a glimpse of the potential of developing a personal relationship with God, who I could call my father and make my, my faith more personal to myself. So the overarching theme of my testimony is God's timing is perfect. At first, I thought crossing paths with Grace and our coffee meetup were coincidental, but I can confidently say today that they were not coincidences at all. God was using our brokenness and struggles to reveal his glory, and they were all part of God's plan to ultimately bring me back to church and grow my relationship with God through the salvation of Jesus Christ. Although the period of darkness I went through sophomore year was painful to say the least, I honestly can say that it was because it was so painful that I was able to surrender and cry out for, cry out for help to God. Ever since going back to church, God has provided me with a loving and welcoming community of brothers and sisters, small group leaders, small group members, pastors, and I'm so grateful for all the people who I've met through this church and for all the mentorship, guidance, and discipleship. Thank you to April for answering my questions that are never ending and sometimes don't always have the concrete answer. But this year especially has been bittersweet as a chapter is closing and another is opening very soon. But I am excited for what God has in store. With a new chapter, there will inevitably more challenges ahead. But unlike what I experienced a couple years ago, I personally know that I will never be alone. And I can confidently say that I can get through those hardships through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together for David. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Davine's testimony, um, how she was lost in many ways. You know, she came to campus uh, living life, but still apart from you. And again, how through um, just even one person, one conversation, one uh, something that looks like a chance meeting coincidence, how you orchestrated something like that to um, be such an in integral part of her journey, how you um, just invade a person's life because you are so loving, you are the lover of her soul, you are the God that is full of grace and truth. Thank you for uh, the journey that she was able to go through, even the difficulty, how it broke her, how it helps her to um, appreciate your presence in her life even more, how you use that to bring uh, her to yourself. 
We thank you that we can even hear how even uh, a small um, event like a canoe trip can be used by you, how even friendly faces and people can make an impact on a heart, and that that would even be a great lesson for us and how you're using that to draw people to yourself. And um, we just pray that in her heart there would be more and more surrender to you. We know that the journey is long. We know that there are many uh, struggles and uh, moments that will test even her uh, just state of emotion ahead and pray that you would prepare her for that with just daily surrender, uh, daily of denying herself for the sake of gaining more of Christ and just pray that that would be the ambition and desire of her heart even as she looks ahead to the next chapter and we know that that's even a blessing in her life that even as she goes be, uh, even as she starts that even before she starts that there would be an attitude of surrender giving up her future her career all of her life so that this life, one life that you give her will be lived for you. Just help her to love you more than anything else in this world. Devin Kim, baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, before, before Grace comes up, we're going to do the infant baptisms. So we have the families come up. Yeah, so we'll just have one family there, one family there. Okay, so um, okay, so we're gonna have um, the idea behind uh, infant baptism is again we believe in a covenant theology. We believe just like in the Old Testament, the um, circumcision was commanded. Uh, not only to those in the people of God, but to the children as well, because they're part of the covenant community. And uh, also as these infants are being baptized, they're entering into the covenant community and based on, um, uh, and then uh, when they again come to be of their own age, they can make their own declaration of faith. But still that doesn't neglect the fact that God sees them as a part of this covenant community. Okay, so. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the parents um, some questions, and then if you can respond with a we do, I'm just going to ask you three questions, okay. and then just um, there, if you can pay attention to me, even though they're, they're talking, but okay, so do you acknowledge your child's need? of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for your child's salvation as you do your own? Do you now wholeheartedly dedicate your child to God? And do you promise as you depend on him that you will try to set a godly example, that you will pray with, your, with and for your child, that you will teach your child our Christian faith, and that you will do all you can to bring your child up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so now, uh, because this is a, uh, 
part of the covenant community, if uh, if you consider CLC to be your home, your, your church, I want to ask that you stand up. I have a question for the church. So, so this represents the public commitment of the body of Christ to these families and, and to these children. And this is a, a vow before the Lord, and it reflects our belief that we are collectively a covenant community that God sees us as one body, and it's our responsibility as a covenant community to, to raise the young children within our community together. And so please answer I do for this question. Do you, as the covenant community of CLC, assume the responsibility of helping these parents in the Christian nurture of their child? So, okay, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of family and children. We know that they're a blessing from the Lord. We thank you that um, for these uh, parents that love you and desire nothing more than to uh, raise up their children in the ways of the Lord according to the word of God. Just pray that you would bless even through all the struggles that families and parents go through in their daily lives. Pray that you would give them sustaining grace that enables them to not only fight for their own personal relationship with God, but grace that enables them to spiritually nurture and feed their children and care for them in a way that would um, allow them uh, to be able to see the love of God and the character of God in their mother and father. Just pray that you would help them through all the difficult roads ahead and help them to know that you are with them, guiding them by your power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Seth, Hezekiah, Yoon, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Kyrie T. Small, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, we have uh, one more baptism. want to ask Grace to come up. Let's welcome Grace with your, with your eyes. And this is my testimony. Being born in a non-Christian family, my first introduction to the concept of Jesus was through my childhood best friend inviting me to church. Not understanding the purpose of church, I started going as a way to make friends. Although I attended church throughout much of my younger years, the reason for attending was as such. The church for me was a place of socialization, getting free food, and especially getting those gel pens that get come in multi-packs with the occasional moments of understanding of the preached messages and those aha moments. When I entered high school, I hit one of the lowest points of my life. Plagued with personal health and family issues, I became extremely bitter towards people and specifically towards the church. People at church would tell me that I was lucky to be named Grace because it would be a constant reminder of God's unconditional love for me. I thought otherwise. I was angry at God for seemingly abandoning me during a time when I needed him most. 
I was convinced that no one cared for me, including God, and that his promises of for his promises of his love for me were not true. If he truly loved me, would I be in the situation that I was in? Although, along with some, having some relational problems with certain people associated with the church, I left, not wanting anything to do with Jesus or the church. Unaware to me at the time, God had never left and was still pursuing after me during the years I was away. Being rejected from a college-credited earning program at the U during my senior year of high school, God instead placed me at Bethel University, a Christian college. Although I rejected the kindness of classmates and chose to sleep at the library during chapel and be a loner, it was through being surrounded by Christians and learning about Jesus through the curriculum where God planted a seed of curiosity in my heart. Coming to the U, I had no intentions of finding a church, but after a series of seemingly random events, seeing an old church role model at the CLC's activity booth, being added to a church hunting group chat by accident, and seeing people I knew at the Labor Day barbecue and connecting with people there, I started to attend CLC. Even so, I still firmly believed that I was not gifted with God's love. Also, it didn't help that I was commuting and that I was in constant disagreements with my parents about my decision to attend church. However, God provided me the gift of three girls from West Bank, West Bank, West Bank, and my small group leaders and their incredible kindness that they showed me during my first semester. From the girls opening up their dorms for me to stay in when I didn't feel like going back home, to them caring and praying for me whenever I hit a rough patch, to my small group leaders driving in the complete opposite direction of their houses and spending the whole car ride answering all my questions. It was through their love for me and their association of their actions to someone greater than themselves did I realize that this was a glimpse of what God's love for me was. I came to realize that all my perceptions of God and his love were untrue as he used people and experiences to demonstrate just how great and unconditional his love for me was. It was through this realization that made me want to know more about who God was and what a personal relationship with him looked like. And during that process, I committed to belonging to the church community and surrendered my life to Jesus and declared him as my savior. Starting from a new slate wasn't easy. And although I still struggle with many different kinds of sins and idols in my life, and still know that I have a lot more to learn, God has continuously provided me patience and grace as I grow to love him more. Along with the support of an amazing community of brothers and sisters, small group leaders, and my pastors, my desires to make my faith more personal to me has grown day by day. I used to think God was a betrayer, not realizing I was too blindsided by my own desires and wants to see that he's always been by my side this whole time and will always be by my side as I go through different stages and trials of my life. As I look forward to life after college, I'm excited to see how God grows me and uses me as a vessel to glorify his name more. Thank you. For grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for even the testimony that we heard, testimony that Grace was able to declare uh, of her journey thus far, um, the evidence of your goodness in her life. Uh, we recognize that uh, a lot of times the lows can be so low. We recognize that it's inevitable that people will disappoint and um, that there will always be 
rough patches in the way, but as she has declared and has seen personally in her own life, we thank you that at the end of it all, we can say that you are good, that you have a plan in all of these things, and that your love never fails. We thank you that it really is true in our life that your grace is real, that grace is real, it's never ending, that you are never apart from her because of Jesus Christ. Uh, pray, Lord, that this journey would continue on even through the difficulties that she is yet to face, perhaps even greater than the ones that she's already faced. Uh, through it all, that you would shine your grace even brighter, your love would be even deeper, and her assurance of your presence, the reality of the cross and resurrection would be even more firm, that she would be able to declare it to all the people that she can serve and minister to, that Jesus indeed is the giver of good gifts that the Father is indeed the God of grace. Thank you so much for your amazing, amazing grace in our life. Grace Lee, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That concludes our baptisms. Let's just take a moment and pray for these brothers and sisters and uh, families, and then uh, we'll just quickly set up for our closing worship. So let's pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your amazing grace. We thank you for uh, the gospel story, the entire story of redemption. Uh, when we were lost and the enemies of God, self-declared enemies of God, yet because of your great love for us, sent your one and only Son to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you, Jesus, that you voluntarily took that road, the walk to Jerusalem, to Calvary, and voluntarily sacrificed yourself on the cross. We thank you, Father God, that you validated the worthiness of that offering by raising your Son from the grave declaring victory over death and allowing our faith to have substance to be based on historical truth that one day no matter what we face in this world we have the resurrection to look forward to we thank you that we can have eternal life simply by the grace of god help us to live in the truth of that grace every single moment of our lives through everything that we face no matter how murky and dirty the circumstances might be help us to help us to look up and receive your sustaining grace that enables us to move forward lord be glorified through our lives be glorified through our church and uh, may this be the commitment that is the heartbeat of who we are lord lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and every time every morning that we can declare that May that bring praise and glory to you because we know that it's simply by the grace of God. Thank you, Lord. Receive glory from your church. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this incredible, unchanging covenant love of the Father God, 
the fellowship, the strength, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, both now and forever. Amen.